Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. doing this morning church amen are we are we blessed to be in the house of god amen it's always a blessing to be in the house of god anybody got some some air in their lungs this morning amen anybody tired this morning come on baby come on it's a blessing to worship god in the tire in the weariness Right, because that's 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 when you know the spirit's going, right? You're not worshiping God just because you feel you woke up energized. You're you're worshiping God because your spirit longs for more of the Lord. Amen. It's a, it's a blessing to be here this morning as always. We're we're almost getting there. We're almost to the turn of the year. And uh amen. Who who's that? <laughs> All right. Somebody real excited. <laughs> Uh, but but praise God, he's been faithful. Amen. God has been faithful. Has he been faithful to anybody? Yeah. Amen. He's been faithful. God is good all the time. All the time. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, I want to I want to get into I want to get into the word. Um, before that, I want to I, I want to make sure that you guys know again, uh, Christmas, Christmas Day, we will have one service at what time? At 10 a.m. Yes, 10 a.m. So, so wake up and and come to church. And uh, I always I always tell people, you know, you're 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 celebrating Jesus, right? Um, Jesus is the reason for the season. So, come to church, all right? <laughs> all right. Put put. Uh, I don't know how to say it. I want. It's a different way of saying put put your money where your mouth is. But uh, I guess put your your faith where your mouth is or something, huh? Put your what? No, no, we'll talk about it later. All right. All right. We're, we're too far into this. Let's, let's stand up for the word this morning. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. Come on. Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Reading just a few verses here this morning. Uh, verses 1 through 7. Revelation is the last book of the New Testament. Last book of the Bible. If you have it, give me a nice Amen. Amen. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. And it says this to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you have this. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise, in the paradise of God. Why don't we go to God in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you've spoken over your servant, my Lord. I pray that I just continue to be uh, just, just a vessel this morning, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on my lips, my God, and that you be in this word, Lord. I pray that we would open up our hearts and our minds to receive, my God, what you have for your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, you can take your seat. I think everybody's pretty familiar with this passage. 
of scripture. It might even be the, the one out of the seven churches addressed to in Revelation that you're the most familiar with. Everybody knows the church of Ephesus. Uh, this has come to be known the loveless church, which doesn't really seem like much of a church, right? I mean, a church that doesn't love doesn't really seem like a church that anybody would want to go to. Uh, one of the things that I always hear the most from people just visiting um, is that, that they feel the love when they come into, into to Numa Church. They feel the love and the welcoming of people. And that's, that's what brings many of them back is the love that we have uh, for one another. And that's what we try to do, right? I mean, we, we, we do our best to love because that's what God does. He loves people. Uh, but the church of Ephesus, they were, they were in a unique place. And they had been in there for a pretty long time. I don't want to bore you with history, but I do got to give you a little bit of history of the church of Ephesus because it's pretty crucial to the message and to the passage. Um, So just bear with me. But the church of Ephesus, they were founded in about the year AD 50. And and so by the time that John writes to them here in Revelation, it's about the mid 90s. So this is a church that has been well established for about 40, 45 years. Ephesus was also one of the most important cities in Asia Minor. It was a a major place of commerce. It was a hub city. People would go to and from uh, Ephesus all the time. This wasn't just a little village in the middle of nowhere. This was a very uh, populous city. It was also the epicenter of idolatrous worship. The Temple of Artemis, also known as Diana. She was a fertility goddess. Uh, She was, uh, her, her temple was here. And, and uh, people say that Artemis in, in the Greco-Roman uh, society, she was one of the most worshipped deities in the world during that time. Her, her temple that they dedicated to her was massive. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People who traveled to Ephesus would have had to have paid a visit to the temple of Artemis. How can you, how can you go to Ephesus and not see it? It's like going to Paris and not seeing the Eiffel Tower. That's the equivalent of the art, uh, of the temple of Artemis. And, and so the Christians, they were heavily influenced by this culture in this city. Many of the Christians, they, they began to teach in a way that still uh, had some of that, that Ephesian uh, idolatrous culture in, in, the, in the church. And so they were teaching false doctrine. And, and so it was, a, it was a giant mission field for the early church. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul commends the church for a lot of good that they're doing. And uh, he, he, he writes a letter to the Ephesians very early on when, when the uh, Ephesian church was founded. And they seem to be uh, thriving and they're learning and they're growing and they're learning how to work together as the body of Christ. And then 10 years later, you still with me? 10 years later, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Timothy is left in charge of the Christians in Ephesus. He's the pastor of, of the Ephesian church. And, and, and Timothy is charged uh, to address false teachers in the church because there's a lot of false doctrine going around. And they're beginning to, to see a lot of growing pains 10 years later in the church of Ephesus. This is how you know that no church is perfect. You can search and search and search for the right church with the right coffee, with the right pastor, with the right music, but ain't no church is perfect. Okay. And so, so they're beginning to show a lot of, of, of issues. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, you gotta, you gotta get on this, man. You, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, uh, fight the good fight and you gotta, you gotta get those, those false teachers out of there. And here, 30 years later, we see a tired church in Ephesus and they're still doing the work. 
They're still fighting the good fight. They're still rebuking the false teachers and they're casting out evil, but they're losing their passion for those that they were called to love. And so I entitled the sermon today, hard to love. How many of us have kids? (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand, but I know it's true, man. Sometimes it's hard to love your kids and you'll never admit it because we, we love our kids, but it's hard. To love them. I tell, I tell Ellie all the time. She's right here. She, I mean, if you see her like at church, she's perfect. She is an angel. You're like, man, how did they get blessed with such a perfect gift from God? At home, she's a monster. <laughs> and, and sometimes I tell her like, Ellie, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for your cuteness, I was, you'd be out of the house. Like you, that's all you got going for you. <laughs> but it is sometimes it's hard to love it. Parenting is, is hard. Sometimes it's hard to love your spouse. Sometimes you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, it's you again. It's like, not, not at our house, not at our house, but at other people's houses. <laughs> it's hard to love. It's hard. It's hard. Relationships are hard, man. Parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. And sometimes the act of loving gets drowned out by the amount of work that it takes to be in those relationships. Ministry, I'll tell you, is even more difficult. Because, because a lot of times in ministry, you're dealing with people that you don't even know that well. You don't have a relationship with them. I'll tell you this from a pastoral perspective that many times it, it, it's hard to love the ministry. It's hard. It's not easy. It's hard to love people in the ministry. It's hard to love people in the church. Sometimes it's hard to love the community. Sometimes it's hard to love the leaders. And I love all y'all leaders. I love all y'all. I love everybody in the church. But sometimes it's hard. So two of the greatest commandments that Jesus says there is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself are sometimes the hardest things for us as humans to do. And I've known many Christians who say they love God, but they don't really love people. Right? Have you heard that before? Oh, I love God. I got a great relationship with God. It's people that I don't like. And because they don't love people so much, they don't go to church. They believe that they can have a healthy relationship with God outside of the church. And maybe you can, but if you don't love people, I don't know how you're going to do it in heaven. I really don't because you're going to be surrounded by people. You have to get over that problem of not loving people. I get it, man. People are hard to love. People are messy. Relationships are hard. Even, uh, even Christian relationships are, are hard. They go South churches aren't perfect. Sometimes you might be hurt by the church. You might be hurt by people in the church. You might be hurt by your pastor, but to love people is to obey God and to obey God is to love God. What did Jesus say? If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, Obey my commandments and I tell you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The Ephesian church, they were at this place 40 years later of apathy for people. There was no more love for the people that they were called to be the church to. And this was a church that was, that was mature in their faith. They knew sound doctrine. They, they were doing the work of God. They were committed to it. They were faithful Christians. They were at church every Sunday. They didn't miss. But all they knew how to do was fight. That's all they knew how to do. These were warriors in the faith. These were men and women who got so used to spiritual warfare happening in their city. They were always on guard. They couldn't trust anybody. They were just a few sheep in a population of, of millions of, of, of ravenous wolves. And so naturally, 
They began to create an enemy out of the city they were called to bring the gospel to and love. They got to a point where it was just, it was hard. It was just too hard to love. It's too hard to love people. And you know, many times this, this passage gets preached, not, not incorrectly, but, but not complete. You've, you've probably heard it preached this way. I've, I've heard, I, I've preached it this way. You've probably heard it said that you're a Christian. You're falling into the routine of coming to church and reading the Bible and doing all the godly things, but you're, you're starting to lose your, your love for God because it's becoming robotic, robotic. That, that is an application to this passage, but it doesn't go far enough into what the actual problem was in the church of Ephesus. It wasn't that the church was just losing their love for God. They were also losing their love for people. This isn't a message to any one individual. This is a message to the church, right? This is the church. So Jesus says in verse five, he says, remember where you have fallen and repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What what do the, what do the seven lampstands represent? Anybody know? The seven churches. Thank you, Pastor. The seven churches. It tells us at the end of chapter one that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so Jesus is saying, if you cannot love the people that I have called you to love, you have no place in being the church that I called you to be. I will remove that status of church from you because you have extinguished the light that I have called you to be in the world. If you can't love people, I'm going to take the church away from you. Because you're making me look bad. We're at a point, man, in our society where I think, I think Christians are generally more angry than they are joyous. There's a lot to be mad about. But if you, if you hop on social media, even just for a little bit, you, you might get the cute pictures every now and then, you know, the, the, the little celebratory pictures. And you might hop on there and smile for like a second. But like, if you stay on there uh, any amount of time, you're going to start to get mad. You're going you're, you're to start to get, like your blood's going to start to boil a little bit. Because there's a lot to be mad about. I saw, I saw a post uh, being shared this week that said, if, if Paul was here today, America would be getting a letter. 100%. 100%. And it'd be a long letter. You know how there's like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians? It'd be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 United States. Because there's so much work to be done in the church of America. There's a lot to be mad about. There's so much to be mad about. I was talking to a friend last week about, about Disney. Disney's got a special place in our hearts, right? We love Disney. I, I, love, I love Disney, man. God bless Mickey Mouse, right? When, when Disney Plus launched, a, 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 what, was 2020? Like everybody was on lockdown. Everyone rushed to get a, a Disney Plus subscription. I had like four or five leeches on my account alone. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say names. You threw yourself under the bus. <laughs> but everybody wanted to watch those Disney classics, man, because they're good. Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. Like, I, I love Lion King. M- Mufasa, he's, he's a G-O-G, man. He's my hero. I love, I, I love Disney. I love Disney World. My, my Ellie, man, she's in a princess dress every day at the house. Like that's all she wears. And so we were planning on taking her, uh, taking her to, uh, to Disney World so that she could see it come to life for her birthday in February. But man, Disney's been making some upsetting moves lately, man. Like it, it, it used to be where you could feel safe sending your kids into the other rooms they put on a Disney movie. 
But now you got to sit there and watch it with them because you don't know what, what your kids are going to see and be exposed to. And we're mad about that. Rightly so. We're, we're, we're mad about the fact that, that, that children continue to be the subject and targets of evil agendas. Look at this Balenciaga nonsense, man, that featured kids, kids in a, in a, in a very disturbing ad. We're mad about that. Christian, we're, we're mad about the abortion issue. We're mad about the LGBTQ agenda. We're mad. There's so much to be mad about. But you know what? If we're not careful in that madness where all we do is rebuke and correct and speak out against, we could forget to love. I know, I know it's, it's maddening. It's frustrating. But don't forget to love the people that are lost because of it. Sometimes we need to be reminded that Christ is still king. Christ is still king. He's on the throne. Evil has already been destroyed. It's just on death row awaiting its final execution. There is more to be joyous about as a Christian than there is to be angry about. Because my God is still God and he is still good and he is still on the throne and he is still in control. Breathe. That's what we tell Layla sometimes. Girl, breathe. Because she gets fired up sometimes. It takes so much energy to be angry. Psychologists say that it takes so much more energy to be angry than it does to be happy. This is why when you're angry, you feel it. Oh, man, you feel it. Like, like that, that, that saying, my blood is boiling, man, you, it literally feels that way. Anger has the power to move you. It's powerful. And when anger's in control, it doesn't want to coexist with anything else. See, I can, I can feel happiness and sadness at the same time. It happens all the time when a loved one uh, uh, it passes away, but, but I know that they're in the presence of God. I can feel the sorrow that they're gone, but I also feel the happiness and the joy that they're in the presence of God. When it's just anger, that's all there is. And we become defensive and we become reactive and sometimes we become violent and love gets all the way pushed to the side. Anger wears you out. And so knowing the background, knowing the background and the journey of the Ephesian church, knowing the culture in which they lived worse than probably worse than where we're at today. I mean, I mean, in the temple of Artemis, they were they were committing sexual immoral acts in the temple as as a form of worship. That's how bad this place was. And they're right there smack in the middle of this of this corrupt and evil society. I'm sure the Ephesians were angry. Because they were always just had to be on guard and rebuking and fighting and casting out. Paul had to tell Timothy, endure the suffering, but do the work. He basically said, you're going to have to suck it up, buttercup, because it's a hard world word out there. But you have to continue to do the work. At some point, this church was no longer being driven by love. They were being, they were being driven by anger and frustration maybe a little bit of stress and maybe a little bit of routine, but they have forgotten to love. I don't know who needs to hear this, but the holidays are coming up, man. And a lot of, a lot of times when you're hanging out with family, you like to, you like to have some conversations with your family, right? And, 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 you know, when you're with family, sometimes conversations of your church comes up and you start talking about your awesome church. You start talking about your awesome pastor. You start talking about your faith and how good God has been 
in your life and you just start going on and on. And then you get that one family member who's like a hardcore skeptic or maybe an atheist or, or they, 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 don't, they don't believe in the God that you believe in. They don't believe in the Christian faith. And, and you start to go at it. And because you're so passionate about the God that you love so much, sometimes you slip a little bit. Sometimes you slip a little cuss word in there trying to defend the holy God. <laughs> sometimes we get so angry and we say things that aren't, aren't godly. Have you checked the comment section, man, before? Like, and those arguments with Christians and, and non-Christians, sometimes you have Christians say, well, I hope you have fun in hell. You know, it's like, bro, brother, come Hermano, <laughs> don't do that. Okay? Make sure you represent Jesus. And look, as, as, as Christians, we're, we are to hate all the things of the world. Anything that is contrary to God, hate it. I, I hate it. I hate my flesh. I hate my sin. I hate the things that I struggle with. I, I hate it because it's, I know that, that God made me better than that. God has called me to be better than that. And so I hate the things that I struggle with. I hate the things that my flesh loves because I know that I'm not called to be in the flesh. I'm called to be in the spirit. And so everything that is contrary to God, we as Christians hate. And we do a good job of, of doing that. But sometimes the disdain for the things of the world, it creeps into our disdain for the people in the world. Jesus commends the church in verse six. He says, you have this, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Again, they're, they're being commended for displaying righteousness and standing firm in their beliefs and speaking out against evil. Uh, the, the Nicolaitans, they were a Christian sect that was, was incorporating uh, practices of, of, of Ephesian society into the church. They were, they were committing some of those sexual immoral acts and, and dedicating that to the holy God. And, and, and the Ephesians, they spoke up and they said, that's, that's not right. You need to be called out for that. You need to be rebuked for that because that is incorrect. And Jesus says, you're, you're, you're hating what I hate. Good job. I commend you for that. But this whole message, the whole reason for this letter is that you refuse to love what I love. You hate what I hate, but you don't love what I love. Come on, Christians from the earliest times, man, we have, we have always had an issue showing disapproval to the sin while showing love to the sinner. It's always, it's always been such a gray area, like that line between the sin and the sinner, we don't always know what to do with. Especially when people come into the church because Jesus says, I didn't call the, the righteous, I called the sinners. And so sinners are going to walk into the church and we're supposed to love the sinners, but we're supposed to hate their sin. And we're supposed to get them to hate their sin. And we're supposed to teach them what righteousness looks like so that they can hate their sin. And so I've seen preachers call out individual sin from the pulpit. Say, brother, get up here. And expose it and humili humiliate them. Like the prophet Jonah. Prophet Jonah, he preached the truth of God's coming judgment. But he did it from a place of disdain. He did it from a place of hatred. He didn't want the Ninevites to repent. Because the only thing Jonah ever knew how to do was hate the Ninevites. All the Ephesians knew how to do was fight against this evil society. Sometimes I think that all, all we know how to do today as, as a church is sit around with other Christians and talk about how bad the world is. It's almost as if we don't have enough love to see a radical change 
take place in the world because the moment things start to shift, we don't know what to do anymore. We don't know what to talk about anymore. As, as long as sin is in the world, I got a job as a pastor. I got some killer job security. Right? As, as long as we have something to complain about, we will have something to preach about. And we love to preach even if it's not behind the pulpit. So it's like, what, what, do, we, what do we do? What do we do when we start to see that change? Jonah worked himself out of a job, man. <laughs> he went to Nineveh. He was so upset when they repented. He was like, God, I knew this was going to happen. This is why I don't want to come and preach. Now what am I going to do? All the Ephesians knew how to do was fight against this corrupt culture. That's all they knew how to do. That's, I mean, for 40 years, that's all they were doing. Someone would come, hey, get out, you devil. Get out, you demon. They couldn't trust anybody. And and Jesus is saying, look, you got to remember how to love You have to remember how to, anger can't be your motivator. Your frustration can't be your motivator. The motivator has got to be love because if you can't love, you can't be the church. The whole Bible story is about one loving God and savior who came down and stepped from his throne in heaven to, to redeem us from the sin that we were in. Why? Why? Because he loved us. He loved me before I loved him. He loved me before I even knew that he was going to love me. He loved me before the foundations of the world were set. It was all for love. It was all for love. And if we can't be the representation of that love, we have no place being the church. And so I want to remind somebody this morning that if you're mad because of this corrupt generation that we live in, evil is the enemy. Evil is the enemy. People need to be loved. Evil is the enemy. Get, get that. Get that. I want you to get that this morning. Evil is the enemy. Look, I hate everything about LGBTQ, what, what, what they stand for. I, it goes against the design of God. I hate it. I hate it because it has taken such strong roots in our society and our young people. And it has taken people out of the church. It has taken people by, 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 by bondage and they're enslaved and they don't even know what's wrong with them. And it's confused our generation. I hate it. I hate it, but you know what? God loves that girl who is confused and thinking that she was born in the wrong body, thinking that she's a boy. God loves her. And if we see her with hateful eyes, God's love will never get to her. Because God gave you love. God has shown me love. And my job here as a Christian is to be the extension of God's love in this world. And if I have no love, I have, what, I have no point for this, for this microphone. What am I preaching to? If we have no love. <sighs> Pastor Abram, he came recently to pre- preach on, on Pastor's Day. <clears throat> and he asked me, he asked me to record, um, a short, a short video for, for his leadership. I guess they were having um, some, some leadership conference and he asked me to uh, just to speak into their leadership. And so he asked me two questions, two questions that he wanted me to address. And one of those questions is, uh, was, what are you believing for for the city of Houston in, in 2023? So number one, another World Series title. 
And number two, I said revival. It wasn't even, I didn't even have to think about it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, like the, the other question I, I had to think about a little bit. This one I already knew was, it's been on my spirit all year. It's like God has been saying it. God is, God has been speaking it. God has been revealing it. God has been giving us glimpses of it here, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet, but it's coming. And I feel with in all my spirit that something, a mighty move of God is about to sweep this city and is about to sweep this nation because we are at a time that is ripe for revival because there's enough death, dead souls in this world where they need to be revived. We're, we're the season for it. And, 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 and this coming year, I'm going to, I'm going to do a, a, a series on revival because I believe that we just need to be intentional about uh, fanning that flame, the spirit of God over this, over this city. And, and I believe that it's going to start in Houston because I've talked to so many pastors and I've seen so many pastors who are sharing that same vision. I'm not even, I'm not even bringing it up and they're saying revival's coming. Something is up. The, the, the pastors and the churches are all believing for the same thing. And I believe, and all, all my life I've been called unrealistic because I tend to think big. This is how God made me. But I, I believe that revival can start at Numa. I think it can. I think it can. And because we've been, we've been seeing little glimpses, glimpses of it. We've been seeing... Some, some resistance in the, in, in the spiritual realm. There's been something, there's been something that has broken, but it hasn't shattered yet. And so I believe that, that, that Numa church, it can be that catalyst for revival. And look, I, I, I don't, I don't desire that for the sake of recognition for our church. I, I don't, I don't care for the honorary status of being first or making history like all I wanted to show is that we loved God enough and people enough to bring revival to our city. All right? Because that's what it takes. I believe that because we love God so much and because we love people so much, we've been hearing all the time, we, this is a church that loves people. And because we love God and because we love people, revival can begin to take form. But we have to be intentional about those two things. And if you haven't paid attention yet, pay attention now. I'm going to have the worship team come up. These two things is what it takes for revival to take place. First, we need to have love for God. Number one. If we, if we don't have love for God and you're bringing people to church, what, what, are you, what are you bringing them into? If we're just bringing people to church, you know what a church is without God? A cult. That's all it is. It's just a bunch of people yelling and screaming and singing songs to, to something that isn't there. You have to have a genuine love for God because people are going to come in and they're not going to be impressed. They're not. Look, I love our worship team, but if they want some good music, they can get it better somewhere else. Lies. Thank you, sister. That's nice of you. We're, we're, we're not Hollywood. We're, we're not in the entertainment business. So if we're inviting somebody to come and look at the cool lights, bro, it's not that cool. There's got to be 
a genuine love for it's got to be authentic. It's got to be a genuine love for God. We have to love God and we have to love God radically. It can't just be a little bit. People need to be inspired by the way that you love God. You ever see, you ever, you know, walk down the street or you're in the mall and you see this old couple and they're holding hands and your girl's like, oh, babe, I want that for us. She starts crying. (laughs) Right? That could be us, right? Your love for God needs to inspire people that way. The way that you love God, people need to say, oh man, that could be me. I want to love God that way. There's people in my life who, who love God in a way that is so inspiring to me. They can go through anything and they're still saying, God, I love you. You have to love God. If, if the church doesn't love God, revival cannot take place. You need to love God. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but if you don't love God yet, begin to seek him intimately. Begin to have a relationship with God. Because the more you seek him, the more you find him, and the more you find him, the more you know him. And the more you know him, the more you will realize how much you love him because he's so good. You have to love If you love the ministry, but you don't love God, if you love the work, but you don't love God, if you love leadership, but you don't love God, if you love the platform, but you don't love God, if you love the church, but you don't love God, revival isn't coming. That's the first one. The second one is you have to love people. Maybe you love God with all your heart, but you don't care about people very much. I'm not a people person. I prefer the solitude. I, I prefer being alone. I, I prefer working alone. Melissa judges me for going to, to lunch by myself. I'm like, I love hanging out with myself. I'm the best person I know. <laughs> it's cool with me. But you have to love people. You have to break for people when they break, when they're when they're going through something. You have to, Jesus, Jesus looked around the room sometimes and he just and he just cried because he had compassion for the people that needed him. You have to love people. If you want to see revival, revival is all about people. It's all about people being revived. That's what revival is. It's mass spiritual resurrection. I don't need revival. I'm alive and well. If I die today, I'm going to wake up in the presence of God and I'm going to be singing, I'm going to be dancing, I'm going to be shouting because I'm already alive. I always thought it was kind of funny that that churches have revival services for the revived. I know it was well intended, but revival is, is a resurrection of the dead. And if we don't have love for people, if we don't have love for the people that God has called us to love, the people that God loves, revival isn't coming. Remember the love, says the Lord. If you're filled and you're driven by anything else but love, he says, repent. Repent. If the reason for your work, if the reason for your ministry is because you're angry, is because you're sad, those things aren't going to sustain you. Love, love bears all things. Love never fails, he says. 
is biblical. 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love passage. I want to close with this real quick. I read this portion of, of text all the time at weddings, which is great, but it extends so much further, so much further than just the husband and the wife. Paul is talking about love for God and love for people. And I'm going to ask you to stand. We're, we're going to close out with this. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Hear this this morning, church. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am just a noisy gong. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have all the faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He says, love is patient. Love is patient. What does that mean? Love waits. Love waits. It's, it's, it's patient. Because there is a world out there, there is evil out there continuing to be evil. And it takes patience to wait. Don't get frustrated too quickly. Don't get angry too quickly. That brother, that sister, that, that spouse, that child that you're waiting for, that you're just, you want to choke sometimes because they're so ignorant. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is compassionate. It's kind. It, it speaks truth boldly, but with kindness and gentleness. The way that Jesus has been with me, with you. Love does not envy. It does not boast. We're not called to just boast in the love that is all for us because Jesus died for all the world. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when, it, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Verse 13 closes, it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest is love. The love of God and the love for people will be the catalyst for revival. Begin to love God in a way you've never loved him before and begin to see people in a new way. And I believe revival will begin here. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.